Get going. All right, good morning, everyone. I'm calling to order the Marin County Transit District Board of Directors meeting for June 5th, Monday, June 5th. And um, we are meeting, we are all in here in person, looks like. So for item one on the agenda, we don't have to worry about asking for folks participating remotely, but we do need a roll call, if we could, and also instructions on how folks can provide public comment if they're not here in the chambers this morning. Yes, thank you. I will now call roll. President Rice? Here. Vice President Colbert? Here. Second Here. Vice President Lucan? Here. Director Moulton Peters? Here. Director Rodoni? Here. Director Sackett? Here. Director Bushy? Here. Director Casisa? Here. Thank you. We have a quorum. Thank you. So our next item is open time for public expression. Are there any folk, anyone here in the chambers for open time? See no one, is there anyone online, Kate? I'm sorry, first I'm going to read the instructions for how the public can participate in the meeting. Thank you. At today's meeting, in-person comments will be heard before virtual comments. If you are joining us on Zoom and you would like to comment, please use the raise hand icon located on your screen. If you are participating by phone, please press star nine to raise your hand. When it is your turn to speak, your name will be called and you'll be prompted to unmute your device. You will then have two minutes to speak. This concludes the instructions, and I will check and see if we have any raised hands. I see no raised hands at this time. Thank you. Okay. Uh, now we're on to uh, Board of Directors matters. Anything from directors here this morning? Thank you. Yeah, go ahead, Director Second. Thank you so much. So I just wanted to give a report out that... Um, uh, Director Rice and I met with Public Works on the Kaiser um, location for a bus stop that I know was brought up a lot during our route um, discussions. And then I had the opportunity to also meet with Kaiser staff to really talk about the numbers of people that are served through that facility. So it's the largest of Kaiser's facilities now with all of their primary care, their lab, their um, uh, physical therapy and imaging. And um, so they're interested in kind of helping us quantify how many people are, are using that facility and um, also reaching out to find out how much uh, people are asking for transit service there. So I just look forward to working with my colleagues on, um, on this board to see how we can continue to um, move that forward. Thanks. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes. Uh, just, just a quick announcement for my board colleagues and staff. Uh, I do have to leave this meeting a little bit early, about a quarter to, I think, to, to get to a very important preschool graduation for my four-year-old. So if you see me get up and leave, uh, that's where I'm heading. <laughs> Family first. Um, and I think the only thing I would um, add is that um, our facilities ad hoc committee meeting our, our facilities ad hoc committee met last week uh, as we continue to um, work now year seven in um, identifying a site and um, and uh, attaining um, possession of a site eventually, hopefully for maintenance and electrification and all and et cetera, et cetera. So that work is ongoing and there'll be updates coming to the full board in the future. All right. So, and and I guess then I ask for public comment on board of directors matters. I see no raised hands on Zoom. 
Okay, so now we're on to the general manager's report. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning. And Kate might pull up a few slides for me. Thank you. You can move to the next one. Thanks, Kate. So I wanted to start off by um, discussing a little bit about, you know, we've been talking about labor shortages. And in fact, um, Marin Access has had some great success in hiring recently. You may recall that we did approve an increase to their wage rates back, uh, I think it was back in February, January, February, and they um, have had a little bit of a lag in actually implementing that, but we um, are now seeing some really good results. And you can see from this chart that <clears throat> we are now almost fully staffed in the driver ranks there. So with 28 of 32 positions filled, so back in March, we only had 18 drivers by comparison. And so we're really seeing that big change, uh, which is more importantly, in some ways, we're seeing the improvements in our on-time performance. So that's really what we were looking for. So uh, we'll have more to report on that as, as time goes forward here. But uh, yeah, very happy with those results. Kate, you can move to the next slide, please. Um, staff is in the process now of making changes to the marine access programs, and we're focusing on getting the word out to our riders, and we're showing here just some of the ways we're doing that. Uh, we have multiple ways of communicating with our riders as listed there. One is our dedicated web page, and there's a little snapshot of that to the right on this slide. We also are sending out mailers to uh, our riders and to fair assistance participants, emailing and doing all kinds of other social media, I mean, other media um, uses as well. And then presentations, uh, either virtually or in person to our paratransit coordinating council or mobility uh, consortium, <clears throat> excuse me, the Marine Commission uh, on Aging, Housing and Transportation Committee, and uh, Aging Action Initiative, just to name a few of the, the places that we're making some presentations. <clears throat> so go ahead to the next slide. Our fare promotions are also in full swing and we're advertising our free fares during the county fair uh, and the summer free fares for youth program. And those are being placed on, on buses and social media and a variety of other outlets. And later in the agenda today, you're going to hear uh, more about our public engagement and ways that we are reaching out to our riders and our residents. These are just some examples of the graphics we're using. Next slide. And then similarly, we're getting the word out on real-time information. Earlier this year, your board approved the purchase of new software. You may recall that was purpose was to improve our real-time information for our passengers. And with that improvement, we've been able to roll out information about how to use it. And as you can see in the graphic uh, on the right, there are three convenient methods to uh, access real-time bus information. You can text the stop ID number uh, to the phone number provided there. You can call that uh, phone number and enter stop ID, or um, you can visit the marintransit.org site and enter the stop ID. So, and stop IDs are shown on each of our bus blades and there's a little graphic of how, how to find that. So again, another big improvement and uh, we're happy to have that in place. Go ahead. <clears throat> and then turning to our ridership, uh, this is the first month that we've seen uh, where two things are happening. One is that in prior pre presentations, we compared March, 2020. Um, but because that was the year COVID started, we're actually now going back to March 2019 in order to do a pre-COVID comparison. And um, you can see here that when we do that, uh, we again are, are way up there, but we um, actually SMART is outpacing us a little bit here in March. With, they're at 92% and we were at 87% of our pre-COVID ridership. 
<laughs> Next slide, excuse me. Um, and then this is a, the seminar slide that we present every, every month. And this is for, oops, that should be March. I think that date is wrong on there. Did I get that right? It should be March, sorry, that is, says February, it's actually March. And we were uh, carrying 229,000 riders in, in March. And again, we're um, right up there in terms of our, uh, our fellow peer agencies around the Bay Area in terms of numbers, just raw numbers of ridership. So we're still continuing to do really well on our ridership. Next slide. And then we dive into the monthly uh, look, which again is for March. And what we see here in our line graph is we compare the current fixed route ridership uh, from the prior year to this year. So the gray line shows the ridership by month for all of last fiscal year. And the red line on the top shows ridership for this year. And the March ridership here is about 239. The difference, the reason there's a difference from the last one, I said 229, 239, is that we do include the yellow bus ridership in this, this slide. <clears throat> so the previous one is from National Transit Database and we don't include that. Next slide. And then we turn to demand response ridership. Again, um, this is comparison of uh, prior year and this year, this year in red. And you know that back earlier this year, we in about September, we started to see a bit of a decline and we are still looking at some of the reasons for, for that decline. But certainly the fact that our on-time performance was not good, I think had some impact on that. But uh, we are we're kind of making our way back and, and the March, month of March, we had 6,102 riders. So uh, I think that concludes my presentation. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Thank you, Nancy. Any questions? No. All right. Excellent. Any comments from public? I see no raised hands on Zoom. Okay, so with that, we're going to move on to the consent calendar. There are multiple items. Was there one that you wanted to pull? Yes, um, Steph would like to pull, <clears throat> excuse me, item K, the contract with SRC Trade Inc. for the LCFS third-party credit management services. We'd like to pull that for future consideration. Okay, so completely off, off. the off the calendar. Okay, uh, and then I, um, any any directors have items they'd like more information on on the consent calendar? All right, um, Nancy, I would ask that, could you just flesh out a little bit um, just to provide an update? And we have do have a couple newer directors. Um, item E on the part-time transit lane project. Sure, <clears throat> sure. I'm sorry about my voice here. Um, <clears throat> yes, this item is a resolution that's required for the grant. To Michael. Yes, is my mic on? Okay, better? Okay. Um, this is a resolution that's required for the grant that is coming through MTC for the part-time transit lane project. And back in 2019, there was a, an initial, um, I'm going to call it planning study done on this with TAM. And this is a grant actually that will go to TAM. So we are passing the grant through. This grants for about $1.25 million. And the next phase is really to do what's called a, a PID, which I think is yeah, project initiation document. <clears throat> and then also it'll 
lead into the next phase, which is the project approval and environmental document PA and ED phase. So those are phases of actually getting the project ready for potentially you know, implementing it. Um, but obviously the next piece of that would also be to fund it. But this is what's required to get it through the Caltrans process. These are, again, sometimes called um, bus on shoulder. So this is the, the project that is in the north on the northern part, and I'm not going to remember the exact segments, but um, let me look here. It is uh, DeLong Avenue to Lincoln Avenue in San Rafael. So that's um, looking at, yes, bus on shoulder, if you will. And it does do some good improvements for our, our service reliability and, and actually the time, you know, time uh, travel time so that we can make the trips faster for bus riders. Okay, okay. thank you. All right, um, so if there's no questions, so will any comments from the public on any item on the consent agenda? I'll give everyone a moment to raise their hands. There are no raised hands on Zoom, thank you. All right, so then I'd be looking for a motion to approve the consent calendar, SANS item K, which is the SRECT um, contract. I'll move the consent calendar without item K. I'll second. So motion, Lucan, second. Um, Colbert, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? See none, that's unanimous. Uh, now we're on to item six, and that is the Marin County Transit District Operating and Capital Budget for fiscal year 2023-24. Yes, and today Karina Sawan is going to do the presentation of our budget. This is the final budget, and as you know, at your last board meeting, you were able to go through the draft budget in a fair amount of detail and Karina's going to do a summary of that, as well as the uh, any changes that have been made since the draft. So, Karina, go ahead. Uh, good morning, members of the board. My name is Karina Sawin. I'm the Senior Accounting Analyst at Marin Transit. Item six in your packet is the final budget for fiscal year 2023-2024. Next slide, please. Um, so as we mentioned at your last meeting, the internal budget process uh, first began in February 2023, where we held discussions at the program level. The draft budget was presented to your board at the last uh, May 1st board meeting, and we're now presenting the final budget, uh, which includes the Marin Access changes adopted at your last board meeting and requ requesting for you to adopt the final FY24 budget today. Next slide, please. So turning to expenditures found, um, those are on the far right column under the thick black row. We can see the FY 2024 final budget includes close to $43 million in the operations budget and a $16.4 million capital budget. The FY 2024 budget is balanced with the planned expenditure of capital reserve for facility projects. Next slide, please. In fiscal year 2024, um, in the operations budget, we are in a strong financial position. We do see some post-pandemic revenue fluctuations, but overall these revenues reflect underlying stability. As you know, we are currently on the cusp of implementing new service changes going to, into effect June 11th, which focus on reliability for our riders. We are now at 90% of pre-pandemic ridership and reflect high ridership retention across our fixed route service. 
The fiscal year 2024 budget allows for operations of up to 60% of pre-pandemic paratransit and demand, demand response ridership. And as we will discuss later in the presentation, the Marin Access improvements um, approved at your last board meeting create cost effectiveness within the program. Next slide, please. The capital budget includes no changes from the draft budget presented to your board at the May meeting. Um, as you can see, the fiscal year 2024 capital budget includes many projects such as the purchase of new buses and paratransit vehicles, $5.8 million budgeted for facilities, which include purchasing additional right-of-way and improvement to existing facilities. And um, the, the capital budget also includes a federally funded project for ADA bus stop improvements and a new corridor improvement project. Next slide, please. The only changes approved by your board at the May meeting are within the Marine Access programs. These include increasing the volunteer driver budget to $130,000, removing the Novato Dial-A-Ride and Transit Connect programs, enhances made to the Catch-A-Ride program, and rebranding the rural Dial-A-Ride to a new Marine Access shuttle program. With these changes, we are projecting a net savings of $319,000 in the operations budget. And with that, um, I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Karina. As you noted, we went through this in quite a bit of detail in our last meeting, but any questions? Yes, uh, Director Sackett. Yes, thank you for the report. Appreciate mm -hmm. it. On the 90% of pre-COVID levels, is that, what metric are you using for that, for the pre-COVID? Is it January, February, 2022, or it seemed like maybe that changed in um, um, Nancy's report that it was a going to a different 2019 number. So if you can just explain what that yes, is. Yes, I do believe, and Nancy can correct me if I'm wrong, that it is now based on the 2019 ridership. So it's the graph that she presented in the general manager's report. And is that a 2019 average or like a 2019 March to March, month to month? It, it's really more of an average. And so you're right, it's a little bit of rolling average, if you will. And on both both years. So we're at about 90%, though, is what roughly where we are. Um, it does fluctuate a little bit month to month, and it just kind of depends on what was going on in that year, the prior year, and how we're doing this year. So, yeah. So let me, I think the crux of the question is do you, is it 90% um, of pre COVID levels kind of? no matter how you slice it, or is there one slice that gets us to 90%? And if you sliced it differently, the number may not be as positive. Does that make sense? I, I, yes, <laughs> um, it does. As you can see from the fact that we, you know, we were at 82%, I think, when we just showed a slide earlier. Okay. So, so yeah, there are there are going to be months when it's lower and somewhat higher. It, it's probably, uh, you know, right now I'm just reflecting back on what we've been showing in the last few months or what we've been seeing. And so it's probably, you know, maybe high, high 80s would be exactly an average right now today. We've been rounding around 90 so, um, and and certainly, you know, fixed route ridership is very different than our, as you know, from our marine access ridership in terms of those comparisons. Thank you. 
Yeah, Eric. Uh, Nancy, I know that um, how we how we make our request to Transportation Authority of Marin usually results in some carryover that's uh, built up for a little bit. Um, our plans for those carryover funds is some of that just being held when we're maybe have a facility that we could go and pursue if we need additional funds or how are we do we have a plan for those carryover funds or they're just kind of being held for declines or future right now. Yeah, so the way that works, just to remind everybody, is that um, we we get reimbursed from from TAM for Measure A use. So we only draw down what we use, and then the rest of it remains, if you will, in TAM's bank account. So so yes, those reserves are with TAM, and and our plan uh, is that they would be drawn down over time, depending you know on 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 need. Obviously, one of the ways we do that is we look out obviously into the future, and so our five year plan. We're going to be updating our our ten year plan. This this year, but we do update our five-year plan. You may recall we did a mini range transit plan. We also have done some interim work on, on that. And so generally what happens is we'll be drawing those down over the next few years. And um, yeah, we don't have a plan to just you know race out and, and use them all up. Um, there, the, in terms of the use on the facility, uh, they're, they're somewhat limited, as you know, within that Measure A program, we are limited to about, I think, um, I'm going to forget the percentage now, but it, for, for capital, it's really quite small. In fact, it declined um, when we went, went from measure A to AA. So we use those for match funds, and we usually tend to use them to match our vehicle purchases. Karina, do you want to add anything? Did I miss anything? No, I mean, you can see reflected in the FY24 budget that we are using some of the contingency reserves for facility facility expenses. So. Gotcha. And and. I know it's probably a couple of years away before we have our, our reset at TAM where we can look at that, but given some of the capital needs we know we're going to have moving forward with regards to facility or continuing to invest in uh, electric buses um, and probably a conversation outside of this, but is that something that might be worth revisiting from TAM to be able to use a little more of those funds on capital needs? I think, yes, it, absolutely something we should revisit. Uh, as you know, we also are always looking for grants for those, uh, particularly for facility, um, but definitely would look at possible use of, of Measure AA funds for supporting a purchase of facility. Okay, yeah. thank you. All right, no other questions here mm -hmm. from the board. Are there any comments or questions online, Kate? I'll give everyone a moment to raise their hand. I see no questions on Zoom. Thank you. All right. So bringing it back here. So this I'd be looking for any final comments and or a motion to adopt the fiscal 23-24 budget. I will move adoption of the 23-24 budget. So that's a motion. Luke and second, Moulton Peters. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? See none. Um, that's approved unanimously. And thank you all, Karina and team, Lauren, whoever, wherever she is, um, for all the hard work on this. Uh, and as usual, a really solid budget uh, and performance, frankly, and um, not just a look at the numbers, but a lot of creativity goes into and thinking and being flexible and looking at our riders' needs, um, our fiscal situation, and then really, um, I think, being prudent looking forward as well. So a uh, good job, as usual, Marin Transit. So with that, we are on to item seven, and this is a resolution to approve the Title VI program update submittal to the FTA. Yes. 
Hi, um, Kathleen Sullivan, Director of Planning. Um, this is an action item to approve a resolution uh, to submit our Title VI, our biannual, or a tri triennial Title VI program to FDA. Next slide. Next, yeah, just a little bit of background on Title VI. Um, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits discrimination on the basis of race, color, or national origin in any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. So given that Marin Transit does receive federal funding, um, we must complete a Title VI program update every three years to comply with Title VI. All recipients of FDA funding must complete a set of general requirements, and we outlined those in your memo. Um, transit agencies operating of a certain size and above, so operating more than 50 peak vehicles and located in an urbanized area, um, must complete an additional set of requirements that's basically much more detailed performance monitoring. Um, our last Title VI program was adopted by your board exactly three years ago, so June of 2020. Next slide. There are a lot of um, statutory requirements in this document. If you happen to click on all of the appendices, it's quite a lengthy document once you include all the appendices. Um, so I just wanted to draw your attention to some of the most important elements of the plan that have kind of substantive impacts on how we operate here at Marin Transit. Um, and also a few things that have changed just to make sure that you uh, are aware of those. So first, we made updates to the, just general updates to the document to streamline and maximize clarity, both for compliance purposes, so that FTA can see very clearly how we're meeting all of the requirements, um, but also for use of the document for reference by staff and potentially other entities. Um, the memo in your packet does include a table that outlines exactly where in the document each of the requirements shows up. Um, so next, there were several changes to our language. There's kind of three core components of the plan, the language assistance plan, the public participation plan, and the service monitoring program. Um, <clears throat> the language assistance plan did have some substantive updates. Um, this is basically, uh, an, there's an analysis in there, a four-factor analysis, which is required by FTA of um, to determine what languages uh, rise to a certain level called a safe harbor level, and, and you should translate more things kind of um, de facto into those languages. We will take requests to translate into any language um, up to 72 hours before a board meeting, for example. If we get a request, we can translate into any language, but there's certain languages that if a, the population reaches a certain level, you want to translate, you know, at least certain key documents de facto into those languages to, to provide maximum accessibility. Um, Spanish <clears throat> remains the predominant language by far in our service area, um, but two new languages did rise to the safe harbor uh, level. So that is over more than a thousand individuals in the service area who speak um, who speak these languages. So that's Chinese and Vietnamese. Um, for Chinese, this thousand includes both Mandarin and Cantonese speakers with a with a predominance or a prevalence of Mandarin speakers. Um, so this change means that we will now translate vital documents into all three languages. Um, the most key ones to the Title VI update are the Title VI Notice to the Public, um, Title VI Complaint Policy and Procedures, and the complaint forms. So those are all up on our website now in all three languages, and we're in the process of getting those posted to all of our major transit facilities, um, you know, the San Rafael Transit Center and the Marin City Hub, stations like that, um, in all three languages. 
It also means that we are going to be including a blurb in all three languages. You may have noticed on your the agenda page of your packet, there are is now a blurb in Spanish and Chinese and Vietnamese, that language that basically the whole packet can be translated into those languages on request, but in the native language. So not just in English saying this is available upon request, but it's in those three languages. Um, you'll see that on some additional documents. We put it in our new writer guide to, before it was just Spanish and English. And now we have a blurb in not the whole guide, but at least a blurb in those two languages if you need it in those, the whole thing translated into those languages. Um, so the next thing on there is the public participation plan. Um, so this has also been revised from prior versions to provide a framework for collecting and considering input from riders. This is obviously a key part of how we do business. Um, and this is gonna be further discussed in the next board item. We have a whole item on public engagement. So I'm not gonna go into this in too much detail, but it's basically a complement to the language assistance plan. And these two uh, plans together describe how we reach and ensure accessibility for individuals with limited English proficiency, as well as many other stakeholders are considered in the public participation plan. And finally, the um, service monitoring program has been updated with new data, basically the most up-to-date data that was available. And it does show that Marin Transit service distribution and performance is not determined on the base of race, color, or national origin. Uh, the last thing to note, this is just a minor, you did adopt new policies, the um, major service change policy, the disparate impact and disproportionate burden policy uh, in April. And those three updated policies were adopted in advance of this and are included in this update. Next slide. So in terms of what this means in our, for our operations, um, these are just a few, a few points on how we'll be implementing the Title VI plan. You know, this is a statutory requirement, but it does affect how we do business. Um, we are going to um, improve or you know, in, integrate the new findings of the language assistance plan into all the language assistance measures of our day-to-day -day activities, that both at the contractor level and at the staff level. Um, we're also updating training materials and practices, again, for our internal staff and for our contractors on all the updated Title VI requirements and policies in our languages. Um, so we'll be delivering those trainings this summer. And we will um, continue to update Title VI materials and vital documents to expand our safe harbor languages, as I mentioned, posting them in public locations that are required to be posted and anywhere we think is, you know, sort of a vital location. And then, again, just ensuring that all federal compliance activities, including Title VI, are included in our work plans, in all of our work plans moving forward. And with that, next slide. Um, this is an action to authorize a resolution which would approve the Title VI report, and we would basically finalize it and submit it to Title VI shortly after this board meeting. So with that, I'll take any questions. All right, Kathleen, thank you. Uh, questions? Oh, yes, Mary Beth. Thank you. A great report. I have a teeny tiny little question. Um, the I see from the complaint on, uh, process that the complaints go to the Marin Transit Civil Rights Officer. Who is that person and what are that person's language capabilities? Mine are Spanish and English. Um, but we do we did do a survey in the four factor analysis. You'll see we did a survey of both our contractor and our internal staff to see our full language capabilities as staff. Um, so we do have language resources in, I think, I think all of the safe harbor languages somewhere on our staff or our contractor staff. Very good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Stephanie, go ahead. 
Thank you for the report, Kathleen. I like your tables. It's very under, easy to understand what's changed. So a question on the languages, because we are dealing with transit-dependent riders mm -hmm. for the most part. I know in my uh, district, we have um, Erdu spoken. And so I'm wondering, uh, looking at your table in the report for the different languages that you looked at, what, what do we offer uh, to the non-safe harbor, the ones that don't have enough numbers to really get the standard mm -hmm. treatment? But what do we offer in ways of translation services offer anything? I mean, basically, if we get a request, we have have resources available to translate into any language. So we have some translation you know, firms on board. Um, our whole website can be by Google Translate. You can translate into any language pretty much. Um, if we get it, so it's basically by request. Okay. for any other language. And if there were a specific population in a specific area that we got a request for you, from you, for example, that we thought we should translate something into that language, telling them that anything is available in that language, we could definitely do that. Great. Good. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah. And we also use, if I can just add in, uh, language line, right? Yes. 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 So there is a phone service where you can actually get translations. Which is like a customer service. Customer, uh, customer service. And so who, would that be our staff doing that or the person making the inquiry? Who, who would access that language line? The, the, it's actually done by our customer service. So if you were to call in and then they would identify that you needed the language line and then they actually make that transfer. Exactly. Yeah. So they, they connect you with that language line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, seeing no other questions here. Um, Kate, are there any members of the public who'd like to speak on this item? I'll give everyone a moment to raise their hand. I see no raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. Okay, so bringing it back here, do we have a motion to approve the resolution for the Title VI program update? I'll move um, approval of the resolution. Second. So we have motion second. Um, Motion, second, second, uh, Bushy. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? See none. That is adopted unanimously. Great. Now we're on to, thank you, Kathleen. Yeah, thank you. Now we're on to the Marin Transit Public Engagement Update, item eight. Great. Okay. <clears throat> Joanna Hewitt and Rodolfo Sotomayor will be doing this presentation. Um, this is really an information item, although it does say to accept the report. So I believe there is an action required because of the way we listed it. But uh, you're going to hear about our public engagement today. So, Joanna, you want to start? Thank you. Good morning, President Rice and Board of Directors. Item eight in your packet is an update on public engagement. We will be presenting this item jointly. Joanna Hewitt, Senior Mobility Planner. And Rolofo Salaña, uh, Marine Transit Engagement Coordinator. Next slide, please. As part of this presentation, we will provide background on the district's public engagement activities, provide an overview of our efforts and strategy for public engagement and how we measure effectiveness. Next slide. This slide shows a timeline left to right, illustrating how we got where we are today in terms of public engagement. This timeline includes milestones that created funding for local transit that allowed for more engagement with local transit riders. I'll now focus in on some key milestones. <clears throat> In 2010, Measure B passed and led to the formation of the Marin Access Mobility Management Center. This allowed for development of an initial framework to guide our engagement efforts. These efforts were primarily targeted toward older adults and individuals with disabilities. Since this time, much of the district's public engagement efforts have been focused on these populations and have been performed through coordination of the planning team and contracted staff. 
2014, the district became an FTA grantee and developed the first Marin Transit public participation plan as part of Title VI requirements that ensure that all community members, regardless of language capabilities, have a voice in our decision-making process. In 2021, during the COVID-19 pandemic, the need for a dedicated staff member to support public engagement efforts became evident as we needed to share important updates with riders and find creative ways to bring them back to the service. This role is intended to build relationships with community partners, expand our presence in the community, and lead direct rider engagement efforts and digital communication. Finally, as we developed the Title VI plan update this spring, we created a new public participation plan to update and formalize our approach and create a framework for engagement campaigns going forward. Next slide. Marin Transit takes an expansive approach to public engagement and seeks to engage with and address the needs of the wide range of stakeholders across the county. Agency goals for public engagement are outlined in the public participation plan and are aimed at amplifying the voices that have been historically underrepresented or left out of the decision-making process. As shown on this slide, Marin Transit's goals for public engagement are the four E's, um, and that's to educate and inform, encourage broad participation, ensure engagement activities are inclusive and accessible for all, and evaluate the effectiveness and impact of engagement activities. The concerns, issues, ideas, and needs of community members gathered through the public participation process inform our projects and plans. Next slide, please. Marin Transit is committed to engaging and collecting input from a wide range of stakeholders and community members. We engage with the general public, including both existing and potential riders. Some groups warrant special attention as they may have specialized needs or provide specific input into our programs and services. These include youth and students, older adults and people with disabilities, community members with limited incomes or limited English proficiency, individuals that live in equity priority communities and West, residents of West Marin. We also engage with community-based organizations, our peer agencies and local governments to identify shared interests and allow for service coordination. Growing our relationships with outreach and engagement staff at peer agencies such as SMART, TAM, the North Bay Operators and Golden Gate Transit has allowed us to reach a broader audience and collaborate on strategies and campaigns. Now I'm gonna pass this off to Rodolfo to share a little more information about that. This slide shows a small selection of the community partners we collaborate with. As Joanna mentioned, there are populations that have specialized needs and partnering with organizations that serve these groups allow us to leverage the trust that they have already built within the community. Here are some examples of how we engage with these organizations. We actively collaborate with the Canal Alliance and the Multicultural Center of Marin to participate in community-sponsored conversations and events in the Canal area. This engagement is crucial as the Canal District represents a significant portion of our ridership, including individuals who may face language or income barriers. Our engagement with the Marin Center for Independent Living and the Vision Impaired of Marin allows us to gather valuable feedback and insights from the lived experiences of individuals with disabilities. We also actively engage with libraries and schools in the community. We recognize their role as vital community hubs. Another example, collaborating with the County of Marin enables us to work together on events and activities that benefit the public, such as the Senior Fair and the Marin County Fair. Lastly, we engage with the Aging Action Initiative that helps us maintain connections with organizations that serve older adults. Through these strategic partnerships, we enhance our community engagement efforts, promote inclusivity, and ensure that the diverse needs of our riders and the wider community are taken into account. Next slide. 
As mentioned earlier in the presentation, during the pandemic, our agency recognized the need to engage riders, particularly the, tra the transit dependent, to ensure our services were meeting their needs and that we were actively listening to their feedback. We know that many community members do not attend or regularly participate in public meetings or board hearings. To better reach these riders where they are at, uh, we have enhanced our tactics and we are exploring new methods for direct rider engagement, digital communication, and rider fare promotions. Direct rider engagement includes various approaches, such as surveys, compensated focus groups, talking with riders at bus stops and on the bus, presentations or tabling at community meetings and events, and travel training. My position has allowed us to expand our efforts in these areas. Some recent examples of direct rider engagement are the surveys conducted with the Muir Woods shuttle riders, outreach efforts at transit stops for the June 2023 service changes, and compensated focus groups related to the upcoming run access service changes. Given the prevalence of cell phones, as well as the feedback that we have received on how people prefer to receive information, we have also enhanced our digital communication methods. In particular, we are using a new platform to expand our social media presence on both Facebook and Twitter. We have also utilized more paid advertising, and we have taken steps to improve the receipt of our electronic newsletters. Finally, as you know, Marin Transit continues to uh, initiate and participate in free fare promotions. This summer, we are collaborating with other North Bay Transit agencies on the Free Fares for Youth Summer Campaign, in addition to offering free fare transportation to the Marin County Fair as part of our ongoing fare promotions. Throughout the next year, we will be exploring other fare promotion options to reach low-income riders as well as promote the use of Clipper in 2024. These strategies collectively enable us to enhance our engagement efforts, reach a broader audience, and ensure inclusive participation from the community. Next slide, please. The images on this slide show different ways we engage with riders. On the left side of the slide is a photo of our booth at the Marin County Senior Fair. At the top of the slide are images of our ad rail notices displayed inside vehicles during promotional campaigns. The bottom section of the slide highlights our enhanced digital communication methods, including e-blast and social media pages. Next slide. The public participation plan takes a big picture view of public engagement. For implementation of engagement activities, we have created a campaign-based model as a framework. This model helps us to be strategic and targeted in our engagement efforts by clearly identifying the key outcomes, audiences, and appropriate activities for each campaign. To guide our work, we are developing an annual campaign. This is a living document that we continually adjust to reflect new or emerging needs. This also allows us to determine the best way to coordinate the timing and activities of each campaign. Although there is overlap between campaign timelines, it is not always possible to start or end activities at the same time due to things outside of our immediate control, including the need for regional coordination, contract timelines, and contractor schedules. We do collaborate internally in an attempt to be efficient, and this tool is proving to be helpful. On the right of the slide, this shows examples of some of the campaigns in progress or slated for later this year. As you can see, each time each campaign is tied back to a campaign category that allows for tracking. The five main campaign, campaign categories are listed on the left. As an example, the bottom row of the table identifies a fair study campaign, which falls under the input into plans and projects category. This campaign is specifically aimed at getting input on our fair policy and fair collection methods in advance of the launch of Clipper 2.0. Engagement for this effort will kick off in the fall. Next slide. As mentioned, one of the main purposes of community engagement is to collect feedback to inform our decision-making. The diagram on this slide shows how writer and community input is incorporated into the service change process. 
Collecting input is an ongoing task and we receive input from a wide variety of sources. Writers share their experience using our service, community partners weigh in on the needs of the populations they serve and partner agencies inform us of key issues or changes such as new land use developments. We collect all of the feedback received through these various forums and perform focused engagement activities as needed to learn more before we develop a change in response to an issue that has been reported. Next slide. This slide shows some examples of how we track and monitor our engagement efforts. On the left is the public engagement report provided to your board on a quarterly basis. On the right is a screenshot of Sprout Social, our new web-based platform used to quantify and monitor the impact of our social media efforts. We do recognize that simply quantifying our activities does not necessarily indicate the effectiveness of these efforts, but feel this is a good starting point. We are actively looking for new ways to understand and improve our impact. In the future, we may implement new methods such as an annual satisfaction survey for writers. Next slide. This presentation covered the broad framework we have established to guide and organize our engagement efforts, but we continue to learn from, refine, and expand our efforts. We specifically included resources in the new planning on-call contract for engagement, outreach, and marketing that we can call on to further refine our messaging campaigns and strategies. We as staff do complicated work and need to balance many different factors that feed into our engagement campaigns, getting outside perspectives, Fresh eyes and expert advice will help us improve the effectiveness of our activities and the breadth of our reach. We are developing a task order for this assistance now. We will report to your board about engagement activities on an annual basis and will be continually making improvements and evaluating our efforts to maximize our impact. That concludes our presentation and we're happy to answer any questions. Okay. That was an excellent report to do excellent work. Um, comments, questions, yeah. Director Colbert. I've got a comment. So, so thanks for the report. And while I certainly appreciate sort of the quantitative approach, I just have to say, you know, qualitatively, so many people don't know what Marin Transit does. Like they just, they just don't know it exists. I don't, you know, have a solution for it, but certainly as, you know, we know Marin's population is a whole bunch of silver foxes and they're going to be continuing to, you know, sort of age in place and with grace. So I would sort of encourage you to, you know, sort of keep trying to figure out how to how to connect with them because, you know, they're not necessarily connected with our, our aging commissions yet because they're sort of still vital. But I, I do think that's a real opportunity uh, for, for Intrans and, and the community. Um, and again, thanks for the report and keep up the work. Yeah, Director Bradoni. Yeah, thank you. Good report this morning. Just wondering, I know Robert did a lot of outreach last year related to seniors and the aging community in West Marin. Is that kind of included in everything that you just presented? So thank you. Yeah, yes. Director Bushy. My question is about uh, the, the, the logos, um, your community partners. Um, I didn't see any of our major medical facilities um, in there. Do you do outreach um, to the medical facilities? Um, and if so, how is that going? We, we do where possible. We're always seeking to engage new partners and kind of grow the relationships with them. I think that's one of the goals of Ridolfo's role. Um, we have some members of Kaiser on our um, Marin Mobility Consortium Group, um, and a lot of different facilities are on our listservs for our advisory committee meetings. But I think there's certainly more opportunity there to grow relationships with those organizations. Okay. 
right, which will feed feed into on uh, uh, Commissioner Colbert's uh, silver fox population. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Director Sackett? Yeah, it's all speak about the other end of the spectrum. I was I was really excited to actually see in the Miller Creek Middle School newsletter the free youth fairs. Um, and that that went out to all the parents and it's been put up around school. And and it's hard to get into those newsletters. I, you know, I see on here MCOE, and that a lot comes through MCOE that doesn't make it into those newsletters. So I just want to commend you for figuring out the pathway into the schools with changing leadership, et cetera, and just encourage you. Because I think I see that free transit, particularly in that pre-driving age, as a real great opportunity. So thanks. I thought... Uh... Commissioner Colbert's comment was interesting, and I wonder if we need to spend a little time on our, our tagline or our elevator speech about what Marin Transit is. It certainly would flow from all the work you've done, but it might be nice to have two or three sentences that we can all repeat about what Marin Transit is briefly. So, there we go. All right, and is there any public comment, Kate? Yes, Kate Powers, please unmute. Sorry about that. Oops, sorry about that. Um, yes, just one comment. Um, I um, This may be both for planning and for public engagement. In terms of transit-oriented development and planning for the new um, density that Marin uh, jurisdictions are um, going to be planning for, I think transit-oriented development can only be successful if there is transit. Um, that is efficient and effective in getting people to where they are going. And so as part of these large projects, um, after their approvals uh, for development, I'm wondering if the, I would like to see the Marin Transit Board support Marin Transit in working with jurisdictions and project developers to analyze opportunities for expanding service and um, engaging the residents as they start to um, lease or, or buy properties, um, the, I think that's a great opportunity for Marin Transit to be prepared to let people know how available um, either fixed route or Marin Access services are to them. Thank you. There are no additional raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. Okay. Um, great comments. Uh, and uh, great work, uh, but I, I do like this sort of trend towards or this suggestion of really sort of leaning into who are not riding, who are the folks who aren't riding today, who maybe live here today, and are those who will be here tomorrow or maybe transit dependent or more likely to take transit in the future. And actually that exposure as to what Marin Transit is and all that it offers um, even at, in real time, I think will help pad um, and per perhaps create a, um, a, a runway that folks are more likely to get on um, with that exposure. I think it's uh, kind of an intriguing way to think about transit. Um, it's so, uh, and then the only thing I wanted to add was around, um, and it's related, um, and it's the challenge because Marin Transit has so many different 
um, ways in which it's moving folks around. And not all of them are necessarily intuitive in terms of they fit under the umbrella of Marin Transit. I'm thinking also yellow bus service, um, not just the, the Measure A monies that that flow direct to, to yellow bus service in various communities. Um, and, and then also the role that Marin Transit plays in helping to facilitate those programs. So it, it's challenging, I think, to, to get that community awareness up as to actually how broad uh, the reach of Marin Transit um, and the ways it is helping uh, folks move around the community. But I think it's a great point. And um, you too are the people to get that job done. Anyway, uh, Joanne and, and Rodolfo, um, I love it that you have each other and it's a tag team, uh, both here on the dais and uh, are reporting to us and then also as you're at work and um, you really do excellent work. So I do think, I guess we need to um, accept the report formally. I'll move acceptance of the report. I will second. So motion, Walton Peters, second, Colbert, all those in favor, aye. Thank you very much. Good job. All right. So our last item today is the Muir Woods Shuttle Evaluation Report for the 2022 season. Robert Betts is going to step to the mic. Okay, Robert. Hey, good morning, President Rice. Board of Directors, Robert Betts, Director of Operations and Service Development. Minute here. Okay. Item number nine is our Muir Wood Shuttle evaluation report. A couple disclaimers before I start my presentation. First, um, unfortunately, our planner, Asher Butnick, could not be here this morning to deliver this presentation, but um, I do need to give him credit for the great work that went into this report and this presentation. So I'm going to do my best to represent his work this morning. I think it's also um, good to understand before we get into the comparisons of the previous years that the shuttle has really, uh, it's changed a lot since pre-COVID and it, and it really hasn't followed the same type of change that our fixed route programs um, have, have done over the last three to four years. So Mirwood Shuttle was one of the few programs we suspended um, for uh, a significant period of time following the pandemic. So the 2020 season, we basically didn't operate. And when I think it's also important to say when we say season, we're talking January through December here. We typically talk about our annual performance in a fiscal year, um, but all of the numbers and the data we're going to be showing are really a January to December type of comparison. So 2019 was the last year we operated our full season. 2020, we shut down. 2021, we slowly introduced service. We didn't start until the middle of the year, and it was really a limited service. But this 2022 season was really the first time we went back almost to historic um, service levels on Muirwood Shuttle. Um, so that's that's just kind of important to understand. We're going to see a lot of numbers comparing year-over-year -year trends. The other thing, uh, let me say in terms of terminology, when we talk about the Mirwood Shuttle or Route 66, we're really talking about the primary service from the park and ride lot to um, the woods. And historically, that's been Pohono to Muir Woods. And then starting last year, which you'll see in this report, that's been Larkspur to Muir Woods. The other service we operate is what we call the 66F, and that's a Sausalito service. And that we've changed a little bit over the years. And I'll kind of talk about what we did to that service last year and what's upcoming with the 66F. 
So um, the presentation, oh, next slide. The presentation is organized into three areas. We're gonna talk about the uh, performance review, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about the financial metrics and then end with kind of where we are today because 2023 looks quite a bit different than 2022. Next slide. So the 2022 season, so last year, we had a couple big changes. The first change, which I, I mentioned earlier, was the relocation of our primary park and ride location from Pahono to Larkspur Landing. Um, so our, our uh, current pickup uh, location is at the ferry terminal. It's right outside uh, the main ferry gates, and it is kind of in the designated bus uh, loading area. We started that in June of 2022. There are a number of reasons that um, we decided to make that shift, including um, some of the challenges with setting up a temporary bus park and ride in an office park location and some of the impacts we were experiencing due to flooding and sea level rise at that location. But at the end of the day, we just felt like that was a more appropriate location to be loading passengers and really starting that experience of getting on the bus to go to Muir Woods. It also offers additional connectivity options for us in terms of ferry and smart service there at Larkspur. Last year was also the first year uh, since pre-COVID that we brought back the 66F or the service to the Sausalito Ferry. So the previous year we were primarily just running from that uh, Pahono Park and Ride lot. So getting into performance, next slide, next slide. There we go. So the 2022 service, um, we operated 154 days, which was significantly more service than the previous year, because again, this was the first year we're really kind of back to historic levels. Uh, we had significant increases in, in revenue hours um, as well. I will say that the when we compared to pre-COVID levels, we were down about 11%. A lot of that was due to um, misservice. Uh, and that misservice was due primarily to, to driver operator shortages and uh, vehicle maintenance issues. So we had planned to basically go to pre-COVID levels, but due to uh, some of those operational impacts, we actually ended the year about 10, 11% below where we had forecasted. Um, the table on the right gives you kind of a snapshot of the different services we operate and when we operate those services. So the peak season is typically what we call Memorial Day to Labor Day. And the, during that peak season, we run weekends and holidays um, between Memorial Day and Labor Day. And then we come in with about an eight-week summer weekday service um, that's mid-June through mid-August. Um, and then this table here shows where uh, or how frequently we operated that service back in the 2022 season. Um, the off-peak season is, is typically outside that Memorial Day to Labor Day, and historically we've operated service almost year-round um, on weekends and holidays, and then we typically also operate uh, Christmas Day through uh, New Year's Day week. Next slide. So looking at ridership, so ridership was up significantly from 2021, no surprise because service levels were up. So we're up 135%, um, but we are still down about 40% compared to our 2019 pre-COVID uh, level. Um, we, we did, again, first year we were running full service and uh, first year that we brought the, the weekday service uh, back during that, uh, that peak season. 
Next slide. So looking at monthly ridership, so this chart shows the last five years, month by month um, of, of total ridership. And a couple takeaways here, um, we, we're seeing the strongest ridership in 2022 in the same months that we historically saw that strong ridership. So June, July, August. Um, and we're also seeing uh, higher ridership almost every month compared to the previous year. Um, so, you know, trends, I think, were, were very similar. Um, there were a number of weather events in 2022 that actually forced us to shut down service in those November, December months. So um, those are two months that we didn't, um, we didn't exceed the previous year's ridership, but a lot of that was due to canceled service due to weather. Next slide. Productivity is one of our key metrics. So product, productivity is measured in terms of passengers per revenue hour. Uh, what you'll see in the chart here is a uh, steady decline of productivity. And the biggest reason that we saw the drop in productivity uh, in 2022 compared to 2021 was due to the relocation of the park and ride lot. So when we relocated the park and ride from Pahono to Larkspur, uh, we added uh, travel time which uh, decreased productivity because we were serving basically the same amount of passengers with more hours. Um, the one trend that we did see that was positive when we looked at passengers per trip, we did see a 36% increase compared to the previous years. So the services we operate, we were operating were generally uh, being used at a higher level um, but because we've added the runtime to go to Larkspur, our productivity numbers uh, did drop again last year, even with the higher ridership number. Next slide. So mode share, this is an important metric that we like to track, and, and this tells us what percent of visitors to Mere Woods were actually using the shuttle to get to Mere Woods. And historically, uh, it, when we look at the full year average uh, in 2018, we're as high as 18%. I will say that on some of the busiest of busy days, that number can go to 30, almost 40% of all, of all park uh, visitors using the shuttle. Uh, and that's primarily because the park puts a cap on parking spaces. And as soon as that cap is hit, and that cap is usually hit on those busy, busy days, then the only option, if you really want to go to Muir Woods, becomes the shuttle option. And that's when our numbers, our mode split numbers go uh, quite a bit higher. Um, but you can see last year, uh, we were about the same as we were in 2021. Uh, and I think that just represents that that the woods wasn't filling up, you know, quite, quite as much as it was in those pre-COVID era. Um, but something we're, we're definitely seeing more of even this year. Next slide. So I'll, I'll change and talk a little bit about the financial metrics. Um, so first off, program costs. So program costs, thank you, <laughs> includes uh, our operating costs, which includes uh, drivers and maintenance and all of our marketing efforts. We also employ quite a few um, positions that we call greeters or the ombudsmen that, that are out there to greet the passengers when they arrive, to scan the tickets, to educate them on how the service works, because many of our riders are, are new and, and first-time riders. Um, but our program costs were uh, quite a bit higher, obviously, than, than last year and nearing that pre-COVID level. And again, the, the, when we look at um, 2022 compared to 2019, um, a lot of the, uh, the the change there is due to the missed service, so the service that we had hoped to operate that didn't operate. So we came in uh, 
about 16% less than 2019. Next slide. So fare revenue represents uh, the revenue we collect from passengers and our fare revenue was up 142% compared to 2021, which uh, trends with our um, ridership, which was up 135%. So there was no change, I think, I don't believe there's a change to the fare um, in 2022. Um, so that corresponds with our, our change in ridership. And then two other ways that we look at uh, fares, um, fare box recovery, which represents the percent of the operating costs that we recover uh, through the fare box, did go up to 25%, not quite as high as we've seen historically. And then uh, the metric that, that we call subsidy per passenger uh, went down. So this is what percent per passenger, per passenger trip, we subsidize. Uh, and that went from $8.71 to $7.79. Um, I will say that's almost double our performance target. Our target subsidy per rider on this program is $3.50, uh, which is quite a bit higher. So talking about program changes, uh, one more. Thank you, Kate. Next slide. So there were a number of changes that occurred uh, this year with the program. Um, the first being um, our uh, switching of operations to a new contractor that, that uh, started uh, Memorial Day weekend. Um, and our new contractor, uh, Bowers Technology, started that service. In fact, the, uh, the picture that we're including here shows the first uh, weekend under this new uh, contracted service model. Um, we are viewing this contract as a pilot service uh, with Bowers. This is, um, as you recall, our uh, we, we did not have success in, in attracting a long-term provider through our last two procurement efforts. Um, so uh, this pilot service is, is really to allow us to ensure continuity of operations, continue those operations without any delays, and really get us ready for this summer, which we do expect to be one of our busiest summers since pre-COVID. Um, and we will continue to monitor and evaluate this pilot and um, likely be putting out a new contract again later this summer to really try and get a longer term uh, contractor uh, in position. I should also mention that the equipment we're showing here, which is a slightly different model of equipment through this new pilot contract, the contractor is bringing their own equipment to the service. And this is uh, what we call an over-the-road coach. This is a uh, higher floor vehicle that passengers sit up a little bit higher in. And this model here is an all-electric bus. And um, depending upon the weekend, they're going to try uh, to operate as many of the buses as these all as many all electric buses as possible, which is exciting for the service. <clears throat> Some other changes that we implemented this year, um, partly due to the new contract and new contract door, um, but also due to kind of the, the evolving nature of the reservation system. We are no longer um, accepting walk-ups or cash fares. So everything now is 100% booked through the online reservation system. If you do show up at the lot and there is still capacity in the reservation system, passengers can go online and book and then ride immediately, but it does require uh, that they have that reservation in the system in order to ride. And a big part of this is uh, another change. We're, we're not only requiring passengers to book their ride to the woods, we're also 
requiring passengers to book their ride back from the woods, similar to how you would book an airline ticket. Historically, passengers just had to book their ride to the woods, but we ran into a lot of operational issues, especially at the end of the day with long lines and um, having passengers experience really long delays to get back out of the woods. So this model just, you know, we're, we're really hoping it improves the customer experience, the ride experience, uh, minimizes the, the, the amount of time they have to wait both to go to the woods and coming back from the woods. But that, that is a change that we made um, starting this year. Um, as I mentioned before, contractors or the shuttles are operating using the contractor-owned vehicles. They're maintained at the co contractor-operated uh, facility. Um, and starting this year, 100% of our service on weekends and holidays will be running from Larkspur. And then we're going to use the Sausalito terminal for 100% of our weekday service. Uh, so that's how we're splitting the service this year. Historically, on the peak of the peak weekends and holidays, we'd run both alignments. Um, we found that there was some rider confusion about which bus to get back. And, and uh, it also doubles our staffing needs to have somebody in Sausalito and in Larkspur. So we've sim simplified the service this year. We're running one bus from Larkspur weekends and holidays and then the uh, one bus or one service from Sausalito on the weekdays. And with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions. Okay, Robert, thank you. Questions? Director Sackett. Robert, can you explain how operationally it works um, if the parking is full? So just how does a customer become aware of that? And at what time do they have to reserve uh, a shuttle versus make the decision to drive? Yeah, I'm sure riders find out a number of different ways that, that parking's full. Um, I will say if, if you've driven on 101 on the weekends, you'll see the big changeable message signs that kind of give the last notice that reservations are required. So if somebody hasn't done their research about the woods and they just get in the car to drive there, we hope that that signage and that information is, is the first indicator, or the last indicator. <laughs> there are situations that we hear about where people get all the way to Muir Woods, the parking attendant asks for the reservation and they don't have a reservation and they basically say you can turn around and go back and get a shuttle trip or you'll have to plan your trip a different day. Um, but we've blanketed our website, their website, everything really tries to push the rider or the, the, the visitor to know that they need to have either the shuttle reservation or uh, the parking reservation in advance. Now, same day, again, if, if they get to that point where they, they, they get to the woods, parking's full, um, I will say an in initial challenge is they need to first establish cell phone service to be able to check to see if there's reservations. But the, the, the parking attendants are the ones that manage the reservation system. So they can probably give the passenger some indicator if there are still shuttle tickets available rather than driving back to the top of the hill or four corners to get a cell signal. Um, but, but that's currently the way that that process would work. Director Rodoni. <clears throat> Thanks, Robert, for the report. Um, I was wondering under your revenue chart, whether you show the parks contribution or how is that shown and, and how does that offset cost or does it? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, I'm pretty sure the revenue that, that we're showing in here is pure passenger revenue. Now we do split 
operating costs with, with the park service. Um, but I do not believe that's included in, in the fair revenue uh, slide that, that I showed here. Thank you. And then um, going forward now, this contract that you have this summer is going to be a different kind of contract with them providing their own vehicles. Have you figured out how you're going to keep the flow going that these charts make sense with that sort of approach? Yeah. Great, great question. I, yeah, I mean, even even this report, in some ways, we aren't comparing apples to apples and moving forward. I think that will be a challenge. Um, I think, you know, we see value in this report, and it is a requirement of our agreement with National Parks to produce this report. Um, but I think you're right, we probably will need to think about the, the structure of the report moving forward, if these are the best metrics to show and, you know, how we can make some of these year over year comparisons meaningful. Great. And, and just to comment that even though this is a costly service and the, the percentage has dropped, even that 10% is such a significant difference to traffic out there. And, and with the reservation system, it's made such a huge difference in terms of flow out there, traffic, and the Park Service collaboration with the park attendants just makes a big difference and just so much more functional. So I just uh, making a pitch for the rest of my directors that this really is an important service and, and Director Moulton Peters certainly understands that because she was involved in getting this done originally. So thank you. Yeah. And just a quick follow up on the so the subsidy per passenger that's listed does that is that subsidy um, completely borne by Marin Transit or is it is it our shared portion of subsidy? That's a great question. Do you know the answer? I, I do know the answer. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that that is actually shared. So in other words, that's not just showing our share. That that's full subsidy is shared with the national parks. So that seven dollar and odd change subsidy, we're responsible for three fifty of it, and parks for three fifty. Am I understanding you correctly? But we we have a fixed. Yeah, so it's not exactly fifty fifty. Is what I, as the easiest way to put it, it's close to fifty fifty. Okay. Yeah, I think it'd be great to understand that number too, because that that makes a difference as well. And the NPS has been a great partner in this. Um, and frankly, the overall service and the experience of the park is better as well. All right, uh, Director Colbert and then Director Moulton Peters. Yeah, so I was actually gonna ask uh, your question. So thanks for the answer and I, I would love a follow up. And then maybe I missed this, but I'm curious, any idea which percentage of the, riders are would be tourists versus locals mm. great question um i could guess it's a very high high percent um i'd say it's it's probably 85 to 90 percent um we do uh we we do survey riders um and ask about their you know where they're coming from um i guess there there's a lot of we find a lot of Bay Area residents obviously using the service, but in terms of like local Marin, is that is that what you're asking? Well, no, I, I just been curious. Like, is it? I would have guessed it's you know mostly not Marin, but I would have been curious. Is it Bay Area folks or like people from like West Virginia? You know, just curiosity. And you know, yeah, you there, don't know you don't know. There's definitely a significant number when we ask where their origin location is in in the nine Bay Area County in Sacramento. Quite a few that um, that use the service. Um, again, percentage wise, I I don't know. You know, then how many people are coming 
from out of state, out of country, but it's definitely a tourist-based service. Because in that regard, to the extent that, you know, you do have people sort of showing up with other reservation, I'm wondering, is there a relationship, or you probably already have one with the Marin um, Tourism Bureau, whatnot, to sort of let people know about this, right? So that might involve some sort of, you know, public engagement, all, all that kind of stuff. There might be some opportunities there. Good comment. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, great report and a lot of moving parts. I have to say, I like what you did in a in your general manager's report where you sort of looked at 2019 data. I find these intervening COVID years so confusing to try and gauge any kind of reality from those, yeah. uh, but you got to put it in there. I want to underscore what um, Director Rodoni said, the congestion relief uh, benefit of this cannot be underscored. I think we all know that even a 5% drop in traffic makes a huge difference on the roadways and uh, nothing could be more than case than on Shoreline Highway and Highway 1, which are just terrible on the weekends with beach traffic. So it really, um, it was established as a congestion management tool and also customer convenience. And I think it's been very successful with that. Um, I'm curious, uh, Robert and Nancy, uh, the other national parks offer shuttles and they've come on, maybe one was doing it before us and now several parks are doing it, I believe now, uh, somewhat to, because we were so successful. And I wonder the percent of subsidy those national parks are paying and whether there's any room to renegotiate with uh, GGNRA and MPS based on what they're doing now that they weren't doing when we started this. So just a thought for future reference. More immediately, um, tonight I'll be meeting with uh, Sausalito former mayors who have a great interest in the Mirrorwood Shuttle as part of the tourist generating business that they depend on in their tax basis. And so I know I reached out to the staff this morning to really help me understand uh, what service I can tell the mayors that he will be offering. It sounds like weekday service now. Um, will you will you have any ability to measure as we go to year two in the Larkspur service to see if there's any drop off because it now takes longer to get from Larkspur to Muir Woods than it took from Sausalito to Muir Woods, Not, notwithstanding that Pohono was not a great customer service area at all. But anyway, do, will you have any ability to kind of gauge whether there's any loss of users from Sausalito, just from a convenience standpoint? And you can, if you if you want, yeah, it's okay. I just thought I'd ask the question. Yeah, it's a great question. I think you know we'll look at ridership, so that'll be one metric that we can see. Did you know based on the service we provided, was there a, a drop in ridership? And then uh, any rider surveying we would do would be another uh, opportunity to compare to future or to previous years to see if there was an impact. I will say that in terms of the runtime that we put on the schedule, we give Pohono 35 minutes to the woods, we give Larkspur 45 minutes to the woods, and we give Sausalito 55 minutes to the woods. From so, the period, so. Yeah, so Sausalito is actually our longest okay. alignment, due, largely due to the, the congestion, not only on Bridgeway, but getting on and off that Highway 101 interchange. Right. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, they, they aren't quite all comparable there. Yeah. No, thank you very much. And so, did, and I did understand that correctly. It's weekday service this summer from the ferry will be offered. And then weekend from Larkspur. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great. Thank you. 
real quick. Is there any promotional um, efforts through Golden Gate Transit through the ferry service saying, hey, you can ride the ferry from San Francisco in a large bird Sausalito and then take the shuttle out to Muir Woods? It's a great question. I will say weekend ferry service is pretty limited at Larkspur. I think there's four trips and the first one gets in maybe even afternoon. It's 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 pretty late in the day and, and we've looked at those schedules. They aren't overly favorable to take, you know, to plan like a full day trip. Um, I do know Smart has done some cross promotional uh, um, marketing around Muir Woods on the weekends. Um, but I'm I'm not specifically sure if Golden Gate has done any uh, for Larkspur. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Kate, is there anyone from the public who'd like to comment on this item? Yes, Kevin Carroll, please unmute. Uh, good morning. A um, lot of questions about this report, but I'll try to keep it brief. Um, you are the Marine Transit, and I'm. I don't see really what's addressed is what the benefits are to Marin Transit riders in this program and how many of Marin County residents are using this program. I also don't see anything commenting on the economic benefits of this program for Marin County taxpayers. Um, San Francisco does not appear to subsidize the Presidio Go Transit program in San Francisco. And right now, there's no public transit service offered to Cavallo Point, the Children's Discovery Museum, Travis Marina, the Marine Mammal Center, the Nike Missile Site, the Point Bonita Lighthouse, or the Point Bonita YMCA complex. And those are things that might benefit Marin residents, employees, and volunteers. The use of the Larkspur Ferry Lot appears to have hurt Sausalito economically with the loss of both parking fees and sales taxes. And there's no signs that Larkspur has benefited from these things. People just get in their cars and go back on the freeway, back to the city or back to the East Bay. And environmentally, I'm wondering if the majority of primary users are out of county, out of state tourists staying at Fisherman's Wharf or San Francisco. They're now having to travel farther to get to the Golden Gate Ferry at the foot of Market Street rather than walking to Pier 45. And so are they driving more cars to Larkspur Ferry parking lot? Has there been an environmental review of the location changes and how that's affecting this? How many of the riders are coming on the ferry to Larkspur and how many are driving there? A private van company is now offering service from the Sausalito Ferry at $20 a person on the days that the shuttle service is not available. The change to the walk-up passenger and cash fares under the new contract with Bowers, riders are no longer able to access the service without a reservation in the online platform. And on the website for the park service, it specifically warns people there's no cell service in Muir Woods. So what happens to the people and the tourists who take Uber and Lyft or taxis from San Francisco and get stuck at Muir Woods? People aren't seeing the warnings. The most common comment I'm hearing from people is, well, when my friend or relative went to Muir Woods, they got the shuttle in Tosalito. Um, so there's a lot of confusion. The fact that that private van service is there and now all of a sudden there's a lot more taxis sitting in Muir Woods charging 80 bucks a person for our trip. 
to take people back to San Francisco indicates there's a real problem. And I hope <laughs> some of these issues are addressed in the future. Kevin. Hey, Kevin, thank you so much. I gave you extra time. Um, all, all interesting comments. And Robert, you're taking all that in. I'm sure there's something to respond to and also some things to be looking at going forward. But would you like to respond? I'm, uh, so is there any other public comment? I'm sorry. I see no additional raised hands. Okay. All right. So, Robert. Sure. Is there any specific comment you want me to respond to or just? I think that you're There's... instinctively are going to respond to the ones that you can and find a way to speak to the other ones as well. Yeah. I guess a, a, a couple of comments. We're still running, I believe, 39 days out of Sausalito. So that, that eight-week weekday service obviously there's five days a week five weekdays and two weekends so even when you look across the summer we're probably running more service out of Sausalito than we are out of Larkspur um, we just aren't in Sausalito on those weekend days but but there's still a lot of service that will be going in and out of uh, Sausalito on um, on the weekdays um, I mean in in a lot of ways you know that this is not it's not a perfect service and we've iterated over time almost every year we look for opportunities to improve the service we have a you know very close partner in national parks so so this is definitely a, a two-way dialogue with them trying to achieve the goals of what they're trying to do at the national monument versus the goals of what we're trying to do in terms of uh traffic congestion relief and and access in southern marin um where you know there, there's a lot of partners and 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 a lot of um a lot that goes into putting this service together. So um I'm sure there's opportunities that we're going to learn from from this pilot. Again, I think I think our priority was to make sure that the service was um continued through this summer, that that we had an option to to continue to operate and to serve the park, especially during the summer months. Um, but we are still looking for what that longer term permanent option uh, looks like beyond October. So um, we're going to learn this summer. We're going to hear feedback from riders and hopefully we'll continue to improve and, and make the program better next year. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, if there's no other questions or comments, um, we need a motion to accept the report and look forward to you coming back later in the fall. Tell us how things have gone this year. So move. Motion Rodoni, second Molden Peters. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Seeing none, that's unanimous. Robert, thank you so much. Yep. All right, before we adjourn a question, our next meeting is July 10th. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, all right. So hopefully folks have that on their calendar and uh, we are adjourned. Thank you. Thank you.